This is Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. We're here to talk about the fifth episode of the second season of Prime Video's The Boys. And this one was called, We Gotta Go Now! (laughs) Again, I don't really know what that's referring to, but it seems very apropos of any kind of comic book action movie. Perhaps it's the whole scenario in the house, the Aunt Judy's house, that uh, that they're talking about in terms of timing, when it's time to go, that (laughs) sort of thing. Yeah, I think so. And I just found in this episode that the whole theme was help, help in all different directions with all the different characters. So I feel like maybe that is like the equivalent of everyone needed help in some way or not begging for help, but kind of forcing people to help as well. And so maybe that's just sort of that little like punchy, like comic book, like thing in in that sense is what I'm getting from it, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Let's explore that theme first with Queen Maeve. We got to see a more interesting side of Queen Maeve, one part of the story. She's basically being attacked and manipulated by this whole movie production thing that's making a mockery of her personal life to for the purposes of, you know, putting it on screen. Did you catch that joke from Homelander about the thinking that the Joss rewrite was great? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That was a low blow. <laughs> yeah, I wonder I wonder if the whole thing I bet not. The whole the whole thing where Joss is kind of getting thrown under the bus by the Justice League production. I wonder when that happened compared to when they shot this. Yeah, I wonder if maybe they it hadn't come out yet, but maybe they were just poking fun at the fact that it, that had to happen. A good majority of people didn't like it and they blamed it on Joss, Joss Whedon. Maybe it hits differently too because of all the accusations that were that have come out recently, but they maybe they intended it for the other part, but now it's just like kind of even more, like has more weight to it. It does because, you know, they might have wrote that a year ago, for all we know, the, the more time that goes on, the more damage that Joss Whedon's reputation seems to be getting from different sides. The Justice League stuff and the feminist stuff and the cheating on his wife stuff yeah. <laughs> and, and all that. Anyway, Queen Maeve is, is putting up with a lot, uh, let's just say, on set. But behind the scenes, she is shoring up her resources in terms of people that she can get to help her make some kind of move. Is that what you got? Yeah, more so than the whole brave hashtag brave Maeve campaign that they're trying to do for her. Horrible. (laughs) Yeah, she seems to be so scared of Homelander and how it's going to affect Elena and everything. I kind of liked that she is preparing for, I guess, maybe a standoff or something, trying to make it a little bit more even because I guess she thinks she can't beat him if she's going to unfortunately the deep you know to get help i feel like she's super desperate in that in that regard right but that was that was a interesting little meeting between herself and the deep the quid pro quo you know i'll i'll say that you're a decent guy if you help me out that's reaching because you never got the sense that they had any prior relationship except for like they worked in the same space (laughs) you know (laughs) i wonder what she's working on though it seems like it's got to be homelander 
centered. Regardless of what happened between Stormfront and Homelander in this episode, I still think Stormfront has designs on doing something, ruining Homelander somehow. I don't care if they had sex in this episode or not. (laughs) I think there's something else going on there. So there's like different mm, forces happening here, all centering on on Homelander. Of course, there's Billy's whole reason for existing is taking down Homelander. So that's kind of kind of building up. She didn't have much else to do in this. We did have the like like the yeah, the Brave Mave uh, pitch meeting. <laughs> that was horrible. Oh my god. Yeah, but you know what? The show is just sort of like the mirror to, you know, pop culture society and so it just like as much as that was like really cringy, imagine how it actually goes down in real life cuz we can kind of point to certain things where we've seen that play out, right? Like from an audience point of view. Like it made me think of, oh man, it must be so bad when these like actual pitch meetings have gone on with these sort of things. I'm like, oh, I hope it doesn't happen as much, but you know, probably still does. <laughs> you know it does. There are people that their whole job is spin. It's like a it's like a version of, of marketing, right? That's, yeah. that's all about managing reputation by manipulating people in a very kind of overt way, which is what that was all about. Yeah, the pants wear got me. I was like, oh my, are we really, come on. <laughs> um, so I, I like that though, they used it as an opportunity to point that out and, and show people how ridiculous it is, you know? <laughs> well, th- so. That combined with Homelander just calling out the girls get it on. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. But side note with the deep stuff with with the ad he did, and then we met Alistair, I guess. And also in that pitch meeting, I just want to give a shout out to the Timeless folks that were brought on. The Timeless, the show that was on NBC that got canceled, unfortunately, after two seasons. But I saw that Malcolm Barrett and also Goran, I don't know how to say his last name, Viznich. Yeah, he was a a doctor on ER, right? Yeah. And also the other, the senator or, or the congresswoman. I need to get her name, but she's also from Timeless. And yeah, so I just love that the creator is bringing on his um, people he's worked with before and kind of, especially since Timeless got canceled so early. I like that he's kind of like bringing them in to be kind of maybe like a metaphoric like F you. <laughs> I like to see that, you know, like the Russos do that uh, with their Marvel movies. They they had various community actors sprinkled throughout, you know, because that's where they came from. They came from community. And so that's why you saw Abed and Yvette Nicole Brown and, and others <laughs> in that yeah. in those movies. I've always got an eye out for that sort of thing. I wondered what your thoughts on including Greg Grunberg as a co-star of the Avengers style movie that they're making could be. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I also wrote down Greg because he's from Heroes. And he was in Lost. He was the pilot in Lost. He was just in it for like 15 seconds. But yeah. He's always making these appearances. So I feel it. And then he Felicity and everything. Well, he's, Uh, he's friends with JJ. That's, yeah, <laughs> that's his connection, like childhood friends with JJ. Oh, I loved it. And I hope we get to see him down the line because he's he's such a cool like character actor. And he's always he always brings some like in this one, he was trying to play serious because that's like the character in the movie or whatever. But like, like he still has that kind of lovable, like comedic character aspect to to whatever he plays. And I like it, it kind of like breaks the ice a little bit. Yeah, I like him, too. I mean, he hasn't had like a steady gig in a long time, but like he's been in the various Star Wars movies as a side character and he's been uh, he was in the heroes reborn reboot which was not terrific but he was in regular heroes which i did like and his character was was one that i really liked matt parkman was his name so i do like it when i see him he does have like a certain identifiable like warm charisma even when he's playing a dick (laughs) yeah Yeah. another show please (laughs) mave had a little more building this this week and i like where we're going 
she's going to need more help than the deep uh, <laughs> to, to, to take on Homelander. Yeah. I feel like why would she go to him though? Cause like, it seems like we had mentioned before with the deep, it seems like you can only talk to the animals and just like, that's his only thing. Like, I don't know what she's thinking with that, to be honest. He is super powered, which helps. Like we've, we've discussed in the past that we're not sure who has what powers. Some level of invulnerability is a power that many of them have in common, even starlight to some extent, but like she has some amount of super strength, but she can't do what Homelander can do. She can't do what Queen Maeve can do. She can make dents in bricks, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make dents in bricks, so I'm jealous. But it's like varying degrees of, of the same power. But he doesn't seem to have any of that shit. He just can breathe underwater, talk to fish, you know, aquatic life, and that's about it. Maybe that figures into her plan somehow, and he is the most vulnerable and potentially useful i don't know for what like a train not so much you mm -hmm. know he, he's the train is broken down <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i think at this point it was mostly just so she can have one super on her side because she knows she has something with the deep in, in the sense of like oh i can help you who knows if she would actually follow through with that anyway right and, and just use him for whatever she needs because in the grand scheme of things the reputation part because she even admitted to the deep like you think you want a piece of shit yeah of course like <laughs> <laughs> I think she's just playing him, but it'll be interesting because it was it was definitely insightful to see she's kind of brewing brewing something up against Homelander. She's just an increasingly interesting character. You know, last season we got the sense that she's sort of a, a Wonder Woman stand-in, something like that. Like not quite as powerful as Superman, but still up there in, in terms of the the pantheon of, of of superheroes. But she was always aloof and and never warmed up to anybody didn't stick up for any of the people on the plane in any kind of serious way. Mm -hmm. And so this season we get a little more context and see that she has this element to her personality that a lot of people, a lot of normal non-superpowered people have, which is they're afraid to bring shit up in front of their boss, just scared to speak up. It's a weakness I'm afraid that I'm, I probably am <laughs> guilty of. Uh, and so it's just really, what would you call it? Um, Relatable. Re yes, that's the right word. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you're here for the for <laughs> finding the right words for me. Relatable that she has the same kind of problem that that I do, and she handles it kind of in the same way, like going around trying to figure out other ways to fix the problem rather than going straight at it. At least not yet. Yeah, and it's like this whole thing with the superheroes, especially on on this show, where they're so strong in in so many ways um, that we could only dream of, but yet they're so like weak in other ways like she has superpowers yet she can't stand up to the marketing team in front of elena <laughs> hmm. and, like that sort of thing so that that is i i hope that we can explore her character a little bit more and like why she's so i guess not wanting to what is it rattle the cage and if mm -hmm. it's only homelander i want to know more about that too yeah Right. Like somewhere along the way, did she really definitively figure out that she just can't do what he does, can't stand up to him? How did that go down? Or will we even learn that? This show hasn't been too big on like retrospective kind of showing us stuff that happened in the past. Has it has it happened much at all? I don't think so. I think we just get little tidbits from the people who mention things that have happened in the past. But yeah, this show does not doing any, um, we, we talked about loss. They're not doing any uh, flashbacks here. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't recall any. Sticking with that theme of, of needing help, Homelander finds himself in a spot that he's not used to, which is needing help, or at least rarely admits to <laughs> anyway. 
the idea of him this being the first time that he uh, causes collateral damage where an innocent bystander gets killed that seems far-fetched i bet that's happened before <laughs> we can we can safely say i think it has happened before and probably where he's even seen it happen or he has to use them to get to whatever he needs like, like the bad guy to kill or whatever so i yeah. feel like yeah he's done a lot of that especially like we've seen that it's also on the tr on the plane you know like the plane incident was like huge in terms of like the casualties um that they didn't care like he didn't care about so i think it's I actually don't want to think about how many times it's happened, but yeah, I think it's probably happened a lot. So that bit where he comes crashing down, trying to create his own spin, and he lands next to this to the uh, representative having a rally, anti-him rally, essentially, that reminded me of just about any time I've ever seen like a comedian or an actor try to just wing it, just go off the cuff and just try to say something in character or or something and and it just always falls flat unless it's unless it's something scripted for them then it it never really works out the way that they had intended and i think that he was thinking he could wing it <laughs> and and it just didn't work out for him it's just that sort of thing like where if he is kind of like our captain america type soup right he's not that at all um i feel like captain america would be able to wing it and say something very heroic and you know people would love him and with homelander you see that he doesn't have that charisma in a way like it, if he doesn't speak yeah you can see like if he stands in this pose you're like oh this is homelander he blah 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 but when he started talking it was clear like he is just so out of touch yeah <laughs> and he um definitely lives in his soup bubble <laughs> it was a little cringy um which i think was the point of like him not really knowing how to connect with people but it's funny because he wants that attention because like his vision during the thing is like when they started going against him was was like him burning everybody and i was like oh my god did he just do that and, uh, and then it, it shows i thought that so I thought yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, it, but it shows that it wasn't real because like we've been talking about he needs that love and adoration from people, even though it's funny where he cares about that stuff. But I think it's because how he grew up and not having that love and all that. So it was sad to see that happen in a way. Not that I, you know, uh, it, it, it makes all, all the things he's done like forgiven, but you see how sad of a character he is in some ways this season. We've seen a lot more to him that he's not just this evil soup i think he just doesn't know how to go about things because of the way he grew up yeah but because of that and i don't want to cast aspersions about about uh real life human people listening to this podcast that may have grown up in some other non-traditional way let's just put that out there but yeah yeah of course this is just in a in, a, in the boys tv context <laughs> exactly right but i think he might be permanently broken <laughs> you know i don't know that you can therapy out what is not typical in his psyche oh yeah definitely i think he he's like one snap away like this one like he could have almost burned down all those people if he just like his let his anger get to him and and you know basically i don't know get to that place that he gets to right um mm -hmm. i don't think he's like clear or anything <laughs> i i just think at this moment he actually had the the understanding to to know because i think he saw how bad it was going and then we see the aftermath of him in in wherever he went to and flew off to Anthony Starr is so good as Homelander. He, he was like breaking down, like laughing, you know, like we've all done probably where we were like laughing so much because we like fucked up so bad. <laughs> and you just like can't believe that you said the things you did or you did the things and he was having that breakdown moment. And he's like, oh my God, like what did I do? That was so embarrassing. That was so bad, right? And it was, it was really cool as a viewer though to see Homelander have that breakdown. I mean, 
of course, just in a TV version, not in a real life version. Yeah. <laughs> Because it was just like a moment of vulnerability that he doesn't really let on to a lot, and like seeing that in this in this episode was cool. I'm I'm actually guilty of starting that weird I've fucked up laughter in the middle of the fucking up that that when people witness this happening, they think I I think maybe that I've gone insane right then and there because it's (laughs) it's it's a serious moment, right? And I'll recognize that in that moment that later I might think this is funny, but I'll start like preemptively laughing. Yeah, it always unnerves the people around me for sure. Yeah. The year that we were going from eighth grade to ninth grade, you have to try out for your position in band if you happen to be in band, which I was. And I fucked up my xylophone thing and I started doing that right in the middle of it, laughing. (laughs) I don't know if you were ever in band, but band directors are usually serious folks about that stuff. Let's just say it was reflected in my in my positioning on in the in the chairs i did not come out on top so uh and he admonished me in the whole moment it was a whole embarrassing scenario oh, yeah. yeah i've i've done the laughing part in the worst times like in the middle of like fights that i shouldn't be laughing at or things but it's my defense mechanism i think of, see yeah I, under- I understand yeah i think i know i fucked up really bad and all i can do is just laugh and not laugh at the person that's like telling me these good points of like okay yeah like i know but i just like it's myself like oh man i really fucked up this one <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, relate to like homelander in that in that aspect of like just being right. like doing something so shitty but right like well yeah well, i understand i i don't i don't agree but i i do get you there <laughs> <laughs> so it's very interesting the commentary i think being put here with his reaction is that he goes to stormfront says i need help and very true to the way public perception is being molded right now today 2020 she just starts making memes and starts sending them out and that's enough to start rebuilding, if not his reputation, then at least his popularity, which is really what seems to be the most important to him anyway. Yeah, I, I found that hilarious that it was just like, you could meme away your problems. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow. But <laughs> I don't... That, I, that, is that like a, a direct commentary on, on the US? I kind of <laughs> think it is. I kind of think it is a very deliberate way of saying that people are getting their opinions formed in the in the most frivolous, stupid ways possible right now. Yeah. But, uh, not by research, but by clever <laughs> wording in a funny picture. Yeah. So it was funny because I was like, yeah, that would totally happen. <laughs> I think it is happening. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it has happened, right? What am I thinking? It's not like a scenario, a future scenario that will play out. It has happened multiple times. So that does bring us to the Stormfront portion of Homelander's story, wherein he decides that he he owes her something and she cashes in right there. (laughs) The super sex scene, I wonder if that was some amount of testing herself against what he could do rather than purely just to have sex with him, just like, can I take those lasers? You know, can I get thrown around by him? That sort of thing. What do you think about that? Yeah, it did seem like that because it seemed odd that she would be like, go ahead and burn me. Or she even said something like, I'll be okay. Because he was the one that was kind of like hesitant, which again was weird to see Homelander be in that. Like he was very vulnerable in this episode, which still not condoning his actions, just saying that. 
So he was kind of taken aback. And I think he obviously liked that because he was just like, oh, cool, cool. I can like do whatever I want. It did feel though like a power play on her part because obviously she had she had him there. Like she helped him get what he covets the most, which is his love from the people or popularity. I think so he wasn't in the right mind in that way <laughs> during the super sex. Um, to really <laughs> maybe fathom what she's trying to do with it. Um, maybe later on he will. But in that moment, I think if she wanted to kind of play him in a way, that would be the perfect moment to f- to figure out like what's what 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 can he actually do and can I am I really invincible against him or whatever. But I still don't know what F- Stormfront's deal is. Have you figured that out at all? No, but this kind of shit will make him increasingly blind to it, whatever it is. There's stuff that had went on like we don't really get a lot of um, POV stuff with. Stormfront this week. It's mostly other people interacting with her that we get to see what she's up to. The business with A Train, where she talks about the Church of the Collective, and basically you get the understanding that she's probably very racist. Did you get that? Yeah, she was trying to side talk that of and saying like, oh, you know, what was her line exactly? It was like they just let anybody in now. Yeah. (laughs) and like directly looking at A-Train and he was like, what does that mean? And then also with her interaction with Starlight, it was just so much talk about like white and obviously like racist kind of stuff that you, it feels like that's what they're getting at, I think, <laughs> unless we're reading it completely wrong. Well, in the, in the question marks that you and I had about who is Stormfront, is she Liberty? My idea about her perhaps being like Liberty's offspring, I'm I'm backing off that and thinking that maybe she is a much longer lived soup that may go all the way back to Vought's original crop because that sounds like Nazi shit, not just like happened in the 70s shit, but older than that, you know? Yeah. And it does appear that Stan Edgar, right? That's his name. Giancarlo? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And it does seem weird that Stan Edgar pointed that whole thing out to Homelander during his whole speech, right? Like Vought, the founder, and just like the wartime experiments, right? With the Nazis. So it just seems like, oh, that's... And he's the one that kind of allowed Stormfront to be in the seven, right? So it's all kind of um, racist, Nazis. Like, um, (laughs) I wonder if that's how that's going to play out. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I'm starting to form a theory that that she is much older and maybe renews somehow or just stays perpetually the same age. But we'll see. Still, still working on that. Just, just that business with the racism made me think much older than just, just active in the seventies. No, I still don't know about her. But for the most part, those two, I think, I think what you said, I agree with exactly. I think my notes line up exactly with what you said, just that him being this way with her, finding someone else new that he can be intimate with and super intimate with, like (laughs) in terms of powers, um, that I think is going to create this vulnerability for him. And it's going to make it so that he can't see what she's doing, whatever it is, because I don't think it's all about being his girlfriend. I think it's <laughs> I think it's something else. Fortunately for Stormfront, I think she sees that he's vulnerable, you know, and um, he, he doesn't really hide his emotions very well, as we know. Um, and so I think she's using it definitely to her advantage. She knows as much as he is like this in, in terms of power, maybe could overpower her. 
mentally in terms of the state he's in, especially with everything, you know, he kind of is like a, a, a child in that way. Like he needs his things. He needs his popularity. <laughs> if she just keeps that in check, he will not be able to figure out or, you know, really see the other stuff like you, we've been saying. While we're on Stormfront, there's really only one other little piece there that's kind of interesting. The business where she's on the phone. And is is that the guy from Dancing with the Stars that she's talking to at that asylum? Or is that just some guy that looks like him? No, that's... Um, so I know this because um, I had read it that Lamplight... Remember Lamplighter was going to come in and I think it's Sean... Ashmore? Yes. Yeah. Sean Ashmore. Um, unless it's... Because Aaron Ashmore is his twin. But I think it's Sean. Obviously, with the lighter and then the lamplighter had been mentioned in a previous episode. I forget which one. And so I feel like, oh, they I think they finally are letting us in on that. So it's weird. Like, did you catch his little name tag? I, I saw it was Sage Grove Center. So mm-hmm. I saw that. Yeah. So I don't know um, what kind of center that is. But if Stormfront is in on it, it doesn't seem like it's a good, good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and that the person that's there probably doesn't want to be there. Because they're making a sacrifice that she completely agrees with. Yeah. <laughs> so that is that is really the big question mark with her. I mean, the other stuff is a little more surface. Yes, she's she's probably doing something that 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 is is built to take down at least Homelander in some some way. But this is maybe this is her secret keeping hidden that will allow her to do it. But if anyone knew that it existed or he or she existed, the jig would be up and she wouldn't be able to do it. It's more, maybe it's like a timing kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's, but it's all good stuff for whatever's going to come, I guess. <laughs> I hope so. I bet it has to do with her, her her big plan, but I don't know what that is yet. I wonder how much Stan Edgar knows about it too, because if it, it just seems odd that he's the one that brought her in and he seems to know a lot more than he tells people, right? So mm-hmm. I, or how that has come about if she like where was she and then he's like oh yeah by the way come in i don't know like it just seems really i would like to know how that went down but i don't know if they'll tell us <laughs> i put in my in my in my notes for for stormfront that she was gaslighting everyone she talked to <laughs> this entire episode and one of those people was definitely annie yeah what what do you think of that of that interaction with her mom and like what would have been an appropriate response for annie i think anything she was way more polite than she needed to be in terms of another woman coming between you and your mom that you kind of purposely estranged from your life yeah she was i think that was a bit awkward but i think annie in this point like she knows that stormfront or suspects that she's liberty and and like she was awkward on set too and and so i think she just really didn't know how to play stormfront the way stormfront is playing other people maybe she thought she just didn't want to rile her up in some ways, or um, maybe you just don't want to give too much away is what I'm thinking. That Liberty card, I think uh, she played that way too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but she kind of got rattled, I think. Yeah, because she didn't really have enough to go on to make that play yet. To burn it preemptively like that? <laughs> Weak sauce, Annie. Yeah, not good under pressure. <laughs> <laughs> No. Uh, it, maybe it's that because like her mom threw her off, you know, <laughs> and she wasn't thinking like clearly. So, um, but still, like I, I would have kept that, I think, a little bit longer until I knew more. Because then now she essentially can't really spy like she was trying to do in the trailer um, because Stormfront will know like what she is doing. Yeah. Also, my theories about Stormfront's longevity, they don't play well with her pictures of her mom and saying things about her mom, who she mentioned her name was Adele, I believe. And she looks, to me, 
like the woman that played or girl that played uh, Natalie from The Facts of Life. Oh, okay. Do you know her? <laughs> Mindy Cohn? I don't know if it's the same person, but it, the picture looked like her. The adult version of her, obviously. So I'm um, question marks in my, my wee brain because I think obviously all that can be faked. I know Photoshop. I could probably fake it for you if you want. If it's true at all, it definitely throws a monkey wrench in my theory. It was all weird. Like I, the mom interaction and like her coming back, like, I don't know. And then the fact that Stormfront got uh, chummy with her and, but it was all interesting though. It was all. Well, um, it's head game it, stuff. I mean, it's. Yeah. It puts the other person on a kind of a wrong footing. You know, what kind of what she's doing with Homelander is making it so that if push came to shove, he would be off balance coming at her because of what they've shared together. Now, a Stormfront can kind of pull Annie's mom in between them if, if push ever came to shove with them. Because for all we know, the mom would be thinking that Stormfront's a great person and then kind of confuse the situation between herself and Annie and all that with this Stormfront business. And yeah, I think that's what she seems to be doing. Like I said, gaslighting everybody she comes in contact with. Yeah, because the last thing that she tells Annie is, you're going to be a big help to me. And Annie's like, what does that mean? And I was like, yeah, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. So we have just a little bit more with the supers. Like we mentioned, the DP, he, he did get married. So there's that. The whole Katie Couric <laughs> thing was weird. Is Katie Couric even still on TV? Is, is that a thing? Did I miss that? I don't know. She's like changed a lot, like going from different like deals and stuff with her TV. So I don't know where she's at right now. <laughs> yeah, me neither. But, you know, it was recognizable and, and not too out of the realm of possibility that she'd be interviewing someone like that. It's so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's a, definitely a comic book thing for her to have conducted that interview and the deep be still in uniform. That's always a, a part that I found so funny about reading comic books is that they conduct most of their business in their uniforms, you know, whether they're having a Christmas party or whatever, they're still wearing the same uniform they use to go battle evil. <laughs> and that is something that they've held true to in the boys TV show. And, and it's brought to light in a very funny way here. You're, you're not going to go fight evil right now. You're going to talk to Katie Couric and that's all you're going to do, but you're still wearing the suit. I, I find that really funny. It, it seems very uncomfortable in some ways. <laughs> I think A-Train has like the cheapest looking suit, like those pieces of plastic and shit on him and stuff. I, I, I don't know if it's supposed to look cheap to us, the viewer. Thing. Yeah, because at first I was actually upset about it, too, because I was like, this looks all of them at first because we're so used to the Marvel and, and DC type of superheroes where they actually are trying to make them look cool. But in this one, I think it's kind of it's like a play on that. Right. And so. I find that A-Trains is just, it's funny because its it looks cheap, but in some ways I kind of really love it. Like it's grown on me actually, because <laughs> that's what they're going for. So I'm like, okay, cool. Like that's fine. <laughs> Since he's been, you know, dismissed, uh, we'll still be friends, et cetera, all that stuff. He has to play ball with this movie script. Otherwise he won't get whatever the package is that he's leaving. I guess he's just done being a superhero at that point. He's not like moved to a lesser market. He's just done. I guess that's how that works. Yeah, it seems like they just retire. I, I think so. That makes sense. He's, he can't run anymore. I wonder um, how that's going to go down. <laughs> it was meant to be funny, but it was still sort of sad that he couldn't really go out on his own terms. It's not like he's a great guy and that I feel like the show owes him anything uh, or that anybody owes him anything. But the part where he didn't want to kind of go out with this lame soliloquy 
I could appreciate that. And I think from all the soups, he seems to be, take this with a grain of salt, but like the most grounded in some ways, because what we get from some interactions earlier is just like, he seems like he really needs the team, you know, uh, financially and like just like everything that with it. Like it's it's not like he's going to go home and be well off is is what I think is what it seems like. Like Annie is thinking like I'm saving the world, you know, from these soups and Homelander's Homelander and Maeve is whatever. Right. And so I just think like he's the one that is, I guess, closer to us in, in the sense of like there's actually like real ramifications for him, I guess, if he's not going to be a soup anymore. Right. He's probably just going to follow the Comic-Con circuit. <laughs> yeah, point. yeah. It seems like he knows he's going down towards like just being like a washed out soup. <laughs> yeah. You know, this show can't go that long without showing us something unforgettably horrific. <laughs> this week's honor goes to Kimiko as she rips a guy's face off without making it very quick. <laughs> she really takes her oh, time. It lingered. <laughs> <laughs> Dear God, the guy's eyes are like looking around and shit. Oh my God. Oh, but this is like the boys. Like I I think people at this point, like if they watched the first season and couldn't deal with the gore of it and all of it, I don't think they're watching this season. So the people who are watching this season, I think this is what we expect and kind of want to happen, even though like you see it and you're like, ah, (laughs) I think it's, it's like kind of what, what the show's about in some ways. I wouldn't expect anything less, to be honest. We find out that the whole reason she ripped this guy's face off was that she's essentially burying herself in her work and her work is killing bad guys or at least killing guys whose whose names she gets from none other than Frenchie's bed buddy friend. Weird, right? If you're Frenchie anyway. Yeah, that was pretty weird. Um, like how did that connection happen? Um, I, I wrote it down like thinking, uh, like just a comment, like of course Kimiko would be dealing with her grief in this way. <laughs> Or like, like, you know, like she's not going to be eating ice cream and like, oh, my God, my brother died. Like, I don't know. It seems like, of course, this would be like her way of grieving is just like ripping someone's face off. (laughs) Right. What did we as the viewers learn by this sequence with these two? We even mean Frenchie was following her around, confronts her at the end, says that he cares for her, but but this is like too much for him. So he kind of bails because he can't communicate with her and she won't help him communicate with her so what else can he do but that's all we got was was there something more that i'm that i'm missing from from this sequence for me i think like i said at the beginning of the theme with help was very prominent in all the storylines and so i think it just honed it in like i think everyone like frenchie was trying to help kimiko but kimiko clearly says and he can't understand her says like i i don't want help i don't need your help i didn't ask for it so I'll, i don't know it just seems like the very theme of the story and if that's all it is i guess that's all it is but um it just seemed to kind of play into that bigger theme with everyone else good call i get, that makes sense it's it fits the theme the story it lets us know that kimiko's in a dark place that frenchie's willing to help but there's only so much one poor drug addict can do so that's where they're at the rest of the boys get tied up in a misadventure at drug dealing Aunt Judy's house. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Billy would have <laughs> drug dealer NT. It seems like you might have written that with like one pass and know that you need to have this fight with Black Noir and all that. Then you go back through it and you start lacing in the things that make it funny, you know, the things that make it the boys. Well, she has a safe. Why does she have a safe room? Well, that's where she compounds her street drugs, of course. <laughs> uh, 
the taffy room, if you will. And she's like a nice lady, on, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was good stuff. But what do you suppose Billy's bigger thought here was? As we've been hoping at this point, because at this, like we had thought, Billy was shoring up his leadership of the boys to do something. You know, last episode, he he bails on them to go find Becca. But OK, that was his mission from the beginning. And he didn't need the boys to get there. So, OK. But once that didn't work out, we thought, all right, then back to plan A. And instead, he just he just what? He was just going to go off the grid and, and that was it. What What's this all about? What's what's happening here? Why was he what was that his plan? Yeah, it seemed like he was just he given up. And like getting the shit kicked out of him at the at the club at the beginning. We've seen that it happened before in these type of situations across like other shows and movies. And it's like they want he wanted to feel the pain because he didn't give a shit anymore or something like that. And then the fact he was going to like, quote unquote, retire, which actually, I guess, is another thing because a train was retiring, but not by his choice. It's weird seeing Billy, though, like just want to give up like that. But it was. It, it was. It, it, so is understandable. Watching this episode, I feel like everything that I've been ingrained with, with superheroes um, across like all TV shows and even the movies and everything across all the universes, the boys is going so against that, that I feel like the predicting part is really hard for me because I thought, of course, we thought like, oh, he's going to be the boys leader. He's going to do all that stuff. And then he's just he's not, you know, and so I feel like that's what makes this show exciting because like watching this, I was like, I don't know where it's going. I thought it was going to go down this road. And I'm like, oh, he's not that type of person. Yeah. <laughs> he's, like, he's just like down in the dumps and he's like, screw the boys. You know, I'm doing my own thing. Since Becca didn't want him, he just felt like it was pointless. Is Black Noir the worst hiding ninja you've ever seen? I mean, he's just like on top of that house. Everybody could see him. There was nothing sneaky about that. <laughs> Maybe that's like the point, right? <laughs> right. If nothing can kill you, then do you really have to hide? <laughs> yeah. And I guess I was wrong about Black Nora being like maybe going to the boy side because it seemed like he definitely was trying to kill them. <laughs> he seemed like a kill bot for, yeah. for uh, Edgar. Edgar. Poor Black Nora, whoever he is or she or they, they're not really whoever they are, you know? <laughs> no. Well, we were wondering last week when he went down to that research woman to find uh, Butcher if that was some personal project or something. And then at the end of this whole thing, after he's basically blown up Aunt Judy's house with their various IED devices. And Edgar is is using like a webcam built into Black Noir's helmet. I think that answers the question. That was like a, a special project given to him directly by Mr. Edgar, independent of any other seven related hierarchy. That wasn't like it came from Homelander. That came from Homelander's boss. Yeah, that was... Um interesting mission by Edgar to assign Black Noir, but I guess it's, I don't, I don't know, I guess he just wanted to wipe him out. <laughs> yeah. Butcher stands to be very explosive. Maybe he can't do anything with the boys, but if he, he could screw up things relating to Becca and Ryan, for Vought at least. So taking care of him uh, kind of makes sense in this in this universe. And but that is a pretty good bluff at the very end. Do you suppose that is a bluff about the pictures and, and stuff that he says that he has? Knowing Billy, I think yeah, I think he's pulling something out of his ass. <laughs> Just to save his, his 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 you know, himself and um Huey and Mother's Milk. So um, I guess we'll see if that's true, if he has to, you know, prove it. And it's weird that like Edgar wouldn't want to to see proof, right? <laughs> like I yeah. found that a little odd 
which makes me think like, oh, maybe he didn't really want to kill him, kill him. But I don't know. It seemed kind of too easy, like to be like, I have these pictures and videos. Okay, cool. We're not going to kill you right now. <laughs> it's like a it's like a Schrodinger's cat sort of situation. It exists and it doesn't exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. The word of the night was definitely fuck pig. <laughs> <laughs> oh um, my goodness, that was hilarious. You know that's Tara's girlfriend, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that was so good. Also, I, I love that he just dropped all the c words, like like even more so than he usually does. Oh yeah, he was. <laughs> I was he, like, yes. He found a way to to lace it into every comment he made. I think. Yeah. So what did you think of the new layer also to Billy of the fact that we learned about his little brother, Lenny, who Aunt Judy says that Huey kind of reminds her of. And then we're like, oh, maybe that makes sense of why he's kind of a, a like an asshole to Huey's because he actually really loves him. If he if we're thinking that it reminds him of his little brother that he couldn't protect. Man, this is not the kind of show where he's ever going to like break down and admit that. At least I don't think it is. But psychologically, that does make a lot of sense that he would kind of transfer those incomplete feelings that he has for his brother onto this defenseless guy (laughs) who has filled very much the same role since he came into his life. Billy's really mean to Huey, like in some ways, like he has that defensive shield up of when, you know, when you, when you, just like Homelander was laughing because he was so, you know, like kind of couldn't believe what he was doing. Billy just like gets meaner and meaner, I think, when he's more sensitive. <laughs> I think mm. that's defense mechanism, it seems like, because yeah. Huey, I think, has picked up on that too. And he was just like, I'm not going anywhere, even though he had just, Billy called him pathetic. <laughs> so I think he, it was just one of those things like, stop trying to be an ass just to like make us not care about you. It's like, we're already here. <laughs> Exactly. Do you suppose that Huey is happy to be the new Lenny? I think it gives him something because I feel like up to this point, maybe he all the shit he goes through and like never getting like never getting any recognition, satisfaction. Yeah. Praise from Billy on like like when he got that information or whatever with the whale stuff. Right. Oh, the uh, the release of V, like people finding out that V exists. Yeah, he didn't get any praise for that from Billy. He was like, oh, what do you want? You know, and then even though Billy's not saying anything and obviously he's saying really mean things to him, I think he knows or at least I think it does comfort him to know like, oh, he's not an asshole. It's like because he's scarred just like the rest of us are. If I were Huey, that would give me hope in like a weird boy's way (laughs) and make me feel special. Yeah, like the way that brothers can show caring can seem harsh <laughs> to, to outsiders but that doesn't mean that it's not there that just means that that's how they show it yeah and then knowing that the canary thing was kind of what it is i think that's going to make him feel even more special so where do you suppose we go from here we have the boys reunited we have been predicting that they'd get their shit together at some point under Billy's leadership. Now they're kind of out of excuses, right? I mean, they've got him. He he seems to realize he has nowhere else to go, really. I don't know that that lights a fire for some new mission, <laughs> but that seems like the point of the show, on the other hand. So what do you think? What do we think we got here? I do think that Billy now knows if this was like his lowest point, And now he's been taken out of that. I think he has to, at least in some way, whatever the next thing is that they're going to do, 
he has to fulfill that leadership role, whether he wants to or not in some ways, because they look up to him. If they didn't look up to him as a leader, they wouldn't have gone to save him from himself. (laughs) Yeah. They're waiting patiently for him to like kind of get over whatever he's going through. But I think they, no one else is going to step up the way he needs to step up. So I hope this is like the last of his, you know, Sticking around. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I hope like the rest of the season is just because this is five, right? So there's three more episodes. I hope now it's just like, okay, Billy clear cut leader in his own leadership way. And then like, we're moving on. So that's what I hope for like the next episode, I guess. Maybe he knows now that that Ryan and Becca are the soft spot that even though not sharing it was how he got out of that jam with Black Noir. That doesn't seem like a a contract exactly in terms of Billy's eyes with the company that took everything away from him. Maybe that's built in to what comes next for him, even though that might mean hurting Becca. Maybe he's over that shit. I I don't know. (laughs) No, I don't think he's over it because I mean, (laughs) that's the whole point of the show. He's not getting a new a new um, uh, love interest, so I think it's it, it has to continue. Maybe this next coming episode, we'll see uh, either Huey or Annie reach out to the other, like we were kind of expecting would happen anyway. But this episode, we needed to see this, these kind of side stories, I think, to contextualize what was going on kind of in the larger sense, like the, the heroes are just working on this stupid movie and yeah. all these other things are going on with them. And Billy's getting his head on straight. Annie might need help. And maybe Huey's going to be who she turns to for help just because this is a lot going on and she's only got her one brain to, to work on it. You know, the idea of Stormfront getting in her business. She spilled the beans about Liberty to Stormfront. The whole Stormfront knows that she publicized V aspect. Um, I don't know. I think it's getting bigger than than one person could handle. So I'm betting she reaches out to Huey or maybe they reach out at the same time. I don't know. But I think we see them back together next episode in one way or another. What do you think? Yeah, I I feel like her revealing her card too soon, she's going to have to reach out. I feel like I wouldn't want to be in that tower with Stormfront knows. <laughs> and yeah. then if you, like her, you know, in bed with Homelander, I'd be like, uh, no, <laughs> especially since Homelander already feels kind of iffy on Annie. That could go wrong really quick. So I feel like she she will have to reach out. Where else is she going to turn? Yeah, there's no one else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the cast isn't that big. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and it goes with our whole Huey Annie love story that they try not to make happen, but they obviously keep coming back to each other. So, <laughs> right, right. If we hear another Billy Joel song next episode, we know we're going to see those two <laughs> doing something together. Oh yes, I will have to say one side note on the mother's milk. I just want to give a shout out to him that he was watching Outlander, and I thought that was hilarious. And um, my husband watched that with me, and he—it's funny because he calls. I'm not going to say what he calls Outlander, but I have watched Outlander and he's like, oh my God, what are you watching? So (laughs) it was so funny to see Mother's Milk watching Outlander. Oh man. I got that book from Audible and listened to about the first five minutes of it. And I was like, I can't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't do it. I don't care how many people say it's great. It is not my cup of tea. So I just, I just couldn't go on with it. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) But I loved that he was watching it. (laughs) 
that fits his personality in, in the way that he tries to hide from everybody that he's I mean he needs to be tough but he's actually kind of a softy like we saw last week how he wanted to not talk to Annie at that cafe mm-hmm. but she was just you know sweet and charming with the donut story so he couldn't not talk to her at that point yeah. that's who he really is he's the guy that likes romantic you know <laughs> Period. Time traveling dramas. dramas, Right. But he can't. He can't be that guy in this world. Well, this was maybe not my favorite episode, but it did have some stuff that I hadn't seen before, including wild super sex. So that is one reason that I'll remember this particular episode. Yeah, I think this is what we call a filler. (laughs) Although this is a filler that actually gave us a lot of insight to some of these situations and setups. So not like the old fillers of yesteryear. (laughs) Right. I mean, I haven't watched ahead, but I think six, seven, and eight are going to be like a downhill slide to some extent. Oh, I hope so. (laughs) Well, we'll be there next week to give you all the deets and our thoughts on what happened with episode six. But this has been our coverage for episode five. This has been Paul with Pod Clubhouse. And this is Kat with Shuffle Online. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.